Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's a song snippet from Brian Bromberg's Brian Bromberg's Plays Hendrix album. Of course, Hendrix fans will know the song. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine, and this is the Goldmine Podcast, a proud part of the Pantheon group of podcasts. And today is, well, it's a somber day as, as this is the anniversary of the 50th anniversary of Jimi Hendrix passing. Uh, my personal love for Hendrix goes deep but we're going to talk to a man whose love for Hendrix goes deeper and that is jazz bassist Brian Bromberg. Um, Ten years ago Brian put out an album called Bromberg Plays Hendrix, the one you just heard a a snippet song of. Uh, A tribute, it's a tribute to the legendary guitarist performing covers of his music via instrumentals that have a a prog rock or even a hard rock type flavor to them. And Bromberg does a fantastic job. He he did a fantastic job with this album. It's just him and a drummer. Um, But now he's re-releasing it because he remixed and remastered it with a powerful new track, a bonus track, titled simply Jimmy. Now, Bromberg... The reason why, well, you have to hear it. The reason why he does a fantastic job is, like I said, it's just him and a drummer. And not only is the traditional bass sound dominant throughout, but Bromer plays a piccolo bass that represents lead guitar parts and a 300-year-old bass for acoustic backgrounds. There's even, you know, stand-up bass for the mood. It's really remarkable. I never heard of the album um, when it was released 10 years ago, but now through Mac Avenue Music Group, like I said, it is reissued. So let's hook up with Brian Bromberg to chat about the new album and, of course, Jimi Hendrix. Brian has some interesting tidbits about Jimi's life. And as Brian knows, many other jazz musicians, many older jazz musicians in the industry, he has some proof that uh, Jimi would have experimented with the jazz genre himself. So let's welcome Brian into the conversation. Hey, Brian. How are you? So the album plays Hendrix, even though you released it in 2010. Um, was there something about the production that you thought it should be 
released again, remixed and remastered, correct? Yeah, I you know, it's I just want things to sound as good as they possibly can and I knew I could do a better job, you know, and yeah. it's 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 a really fun record. It's uh the heart's in it, you know, the playing is, is, is really cool. It was just so much fun to do and I just wanted it to sound you know, I just wanted it to sound as good as I knew I could make it. You know, I, when I recorded it, I had a completely different rig, and the technology has changed so much in 10 years. Right. I mean, it's just ridiculous how fast technology changes. So we were just able to make it sound a lot better from a digital standpoint with, um, you know, digital distortion and um, things like that, that the human ear doesn't necessarily understand what it's hearing, but it's there. You hear it you know, even though you can't put your finger on it. So basically it's it's like it's like having really dirty glasses. You can still see, but it's a it's a mess. You clear your glasses, it's just like, oh, that's what that's supposed to look like. You know, <laughs> so it basically I just took the I took the blanket off, <laughs> you know, and just cleaned it up. I just wanted it to sound better. How would you explain now for those who don't know the average listener, the difference between remixed and remastered? Well you do both. Every record you make you 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 know, you, you you know you you have all the parts. I mean, you know, you have the guitar part, the bass part, the, the vocals, the singers, the keyboard players, whatever it is. You have all the parts, and you mix them together so everything is balanced and sounds like a band and or performance. Mm -hmm. And then when that's finished, when it's mixed, you then do the final stage, which takes it from that and gives it the final polish mm -hmm. that you would do before you manufacture it or just or release it. It's just another set of EQ and compression and, um, you know, it's like, you know, you wash your car, it looks great, but then when you buff it and polish it, it looks amazing. Right. That's, that's how I would say it. It just takes it one more step up. But, um, you know, these are really key important uh, procedures that you go through because a good mix and a good mastering can really make a record a bad mix and a bad mastering can destroy a record. So right. it's uh, even though it's the final stages, it's vitally important um, in a way. It's the most important thing because it takes you know it, it uh, you know it, it takes what you did and just puts it in the finest light you can. You know, so um, I, I just I love that aspect of production because it's the final stages. It already, you know it sounds like music. You just want it to sound as good as you as, as it can, and you want to have as much punch and as much power and you know, it's just it's just fun to it, it's fun to do the final stage because it's it's uh, it's really powerful. It's amazing what a little bit of EQ or a little bit of compression does. It's 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 pretty amazing the difference. I mean, it's night and day. You know, right. well, so I didn't. It's just fun. I never heard the original in 2010. I only heard it now. I was quite impressed with the sound, so I didn't have anything to compare it to. Um, what what would be the it's not that the first one sounded bad? It's just you know, it, this is just better. You yes. Know, it, you know, we did the best we could with what we had. It, this is this is just warmer, fatter, louder, rounder, more air. Um, you know, less uh, noise. Less. It's just more space because the, the the you know digital is one and out. You know, ones and zeros. It's 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 very unforgiving. It's like you hit a wall. You know, there's no. You know, analog is has no ceiling analog just it, it's just you know it, it's like it just it, it reproduces whatever it gets digital has a ceiling of frequencies and things like that and you you need to work within the limits of right. the hard binary math and turn it into something musical that's why tape 
sounds better. <laughs> you know, that's why vinyl records sound better because it's analog, it's fat, warm, and lovely. You know, digital has been usually brittle and thin. It's getting better. So, um, anyway, I interrupted you. Go ahead. <laughs> Which leads me to uh, another question. This is, is this, this is only being released. Is it being released only digitally? Um, is, will it be on vinyl? Will it be on? I, I wish it would be on vinyl and, and, CD, even though they don't really make CDs anymore. Right. Um, you can't buy a car with a CD player in it. Um, <laughs> there are no plans to... I don't think you can even buy a computer with a CD player or a DVD player anymore. Um, uh, at this point, there's no plans to do anything else but the digital release. Right. But, you know, who knows if, if, if people ask for it. Um, I, I think this record would sound amazing on vinyl. Again, yes. It'd be crazy on vinyl. You right. know, um, it's, that's up to the label. I'd love to see it. But um, that would be so cool. It would just be fat and huge. I mean, I remember years ago, I was at a mastering facility in Los Angeles, and I was producing a mastering session for an artist that was doing, uh, we were doing a dance, you know, club dance remix. And I burned, I had the master that we burned down in my studio, the, the, the digital, you know, the CD quality master, and it sounded great. It was fine. We brought it into the mastering lab, and they were cutting vinyl for the the, uh, the the club circuit and the vinyl test pressing that they did in the mastering facility of the actual CD that I burned in my studio just mm. blew it away. Mm. I could not believe how much better the vinyl sounded in the studio than the CD did and it was the exact same file and I just burned the file down an hour earlier. The vinyl sounded that much better. It, it just, I, I, I was shocked at how much better the analog sounded. I, I've never experienced like a back-to-back -back like that before. That was pretty incredible. Well, maybe the record company will release it again. I know they wanted to get it out to commemorate uh, Jimmy, uh, Jimi Hendrix's passing 50 years ago Yeah. in September. I'd love to see it. I mean, it's like supply and demand. If people ask for it, hopefully they would do it, you know? Right. I think vinyl in a way is making a comeback, you know? It's never it going to be what it was, but I think, you know, collectors and and audiophiles and fans, I think they're starting to dig vinyl. Plus, it just sounds better. You yeah. know, I mean, if you actually care what music sounds like, you don't want to listen to MP3s and you want to listen to vinyl because it's just going to sound better. Right. Uh, did you did you add anything else in the songs that, you know, the songs that were recorded already? Did you add no, anything else? All the performances are exactly the same. I kept everything the same because mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's opening a can of worms, especially right. when you're a perfectionist and, you know, you're a player. It's like once you fix one thing, then you're never going to stop. It's just like there's no way I'm going to do that because, again, once you start, you'll never, ever finish it, you know. So I didn't I didn't change a note. All we did was just make the notes sound better. And then we put the bonus track on that was not um, available on the first one, uh, my original tune called Jimmy. So. <laughs> Thank you. 
Did you did you record it back then? Because there's a flow to I it. it. I, I, well, I recorded it. I recorded it back then and did um, some editing and things like that. It was never released, and then we remixed it and just tweaked it because it had never been released. And then um, we put it on the record. But yes, I recorded it. To be honest, I don't know why it never came out. That mm. was the label. Yeah, it's a for great tune. Reason. It, it, I, I, I can't even tell you why it never came out. That's a right. good question. Um, but, uh, and, and thank you. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, but yeah, we, I recorded it back then. It just never got released. It never got heard. So. Right. I, I think. I'm glad it's heard now. I think uh, Hendrix would love this, this album. Um, I just know that, you know, him being into jazz or progressive music, I think he would just really dig it. Um, especially oh, the track that. That would be cool. Jimmy. Because <laughs> I know he would dig the covers, but to have a track, you know, I'm sure you'll be really honored by that. Well, that's very sweet of you. Thank you. You know, that track, man, it's like, I mean, it, there's, there's no guitar on the record. It's all, it's all bass. It's piccolo bass. It sounds like guitar, but that first kind of yeah. guitar line, the piccolo bass line where it starts, and then the groove comes in. It's just like, oh my God, you got to crank that because that's like the most powerful moment. It's just like when, when that groove kicks in, it's just like, oh man, it's just, it's just in your face. I just love that. That's just like my, that's like my favorite moment of that song. When that, as soon as that groove just comes in, it's just like, it's, it's breathtaking, you know, and I would hope he would dig that, you know. It, yep. was, it was stupid fun to do. Plus playing with, you know, Vinnie Calhoun is the most ridiculous drummer on the planet. And that was just awesome to be able to play with him. He was. Did he get involved with the, uh, you know, re, uh, the remastering of it or anything? Not at all. Oh, no. uh, okay. No, he just he came in. He came in. You know, we're friends. We're on a ton of records together, and and I just knew this record would be great for him because he's cause there's nothing he can't do. But I just knew he would kill it, and he literally came into my studio and um, did the entire record in one session one day, just like literally <laughs> just played the record down, just like played it, and you know. And what you hear is what you got. I don't even think there's alternate takes. I think he just played the stuff and just completely nailed it. It was ridiculous, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that was the other thing too is because because of better technology and Pro Tools, which is the the medium that we use, evolving and just you know things getting better. Plus you know you know we're getting better. I want to make the drums sound better, and they just you know it's, everything just sounds better. It's just, it's you know. Considering how we did the record, um, I think it sounds great. And I, yeah. I, I think Vinny, I, I got to say that to him, actually, I haven't done that yet. Um, thank you for reminding me. I think <laughs> Vinny would be proud because it sounds good and the drums sound really good on the record. Yeah. But he's just ridiculous. I he's think, ridiculous. Uh, I think you know, vinyl record collectors will remember him. You know, he played with many well-known musicians like Frank Zappa and Joe's Garage and 78 and, and oh, yeah. Sting. Um, one of the like, things about Sting, MP3s Sting is... Herbie Hancock, right. you name it. He's played with everybody. One of the bad things about MP3s is they don't come with liner notes or credits, really. So, but old albums yeah. will tell you that uh, Vinny's been on quite a few. Oh, he's it's, he's the most in-demand drummer in the world. Yeah. You know, and for a good for good reason. There's nothing he can't do. Um, you know, it, it, you know, you bring up a really good point, and it's 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 frustrating because. There's all this great information mm -hmm. 
you know, in a CD booklet or in a DVD booklet or on a Final record cover play. or on an album jacket or something. Just all this great information about the music and the artist and the song and, and the credits that people deserve. And, and people just have no clue anymore. They just, mm. you know, half the people just rip the stuff off the Internet. They have no idea who's on anything. They have the music. They dig it. That's fine. You know, half the time they're stealing it. And, and, and even if they're not stealing it, you know, they still just download the track. They don't get, you know, how many people look at the artwork anymore? I mean, it right. used to be a thing, you know, and there's like all this information. And, and you know, the, there's a reason why there's record credits. I mean, these right. people that work on your stuff deserve to be acknowledged for their contribution. You know, Absolutely. And so many people have no clue. Who's doing what? You know, it's, it's kind of it's kind of sad, you know. And I would never know. You mentioned the bass sound, and that's one of the things I love about this record, obviously. But people might not know that that's a piccolo bass that sounds like a lead guitar in places, you know. So they, um, they probably don't. Cause yes. It, 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 it you know to the untrained ear it sounds like a guitar. And, it does. And most musicians would think it's a guitar. And yes. If you don't know me or don't know anything, you hear it, it just sounds like a guitar player's record, you know, which, you know, which is fine. It's just, it would be really cool for people to, to really get that I'm using the basses in a totally different way than you would normally use the bass, you know, and that's right. what makes it fun for me. And, and it gave me creative license because I'm not a guitar player, you right. know, it's like you can't, guitar players can't, they can't, guitar players can't judge me, you know, because, right. I'm not a guitar player trying to play Jimi Hendrix stuff. Yeah. I'm a bass player just grooving on his music. So leave me alone. <laughs> you know, let me have fun. You know, it's like they, they don't like they, they can't they can't shred me because I'm a guitar player trying to, you know, cover an icon. There's like I didn't learn any Jimi Hendrix licks on this record. I didn't right. play anything. You know, I just did me, you know, and, and his music, you know, so um, that's what makes it special for me. And on top of that is, you know, it's just me and a drummer, and I overdubbed all my parts. For me, what I'm the most proud of is the fact that it sounds like music. It breathes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like a Nam Show demo. It doesn't sound like an right. erector set where you're just sitting there putting a part on top of a part on top of a part. It doesn't sound like a computer. It really sounds like a bunch of guys just throwing down. It does, and yeah. You know, it's cool considering it's literally all overdubbed and created and it still has breath and still breathes. That to mm. me just is what I'm the most proud of is that it really doesn't sound like two people. You, you can't tell what it is, but it doesn't sound like two guys. Right. In fact, no, it doesn't. And in fact, that I think you put it best is that even though it's a Hendrix tribute album, it doesn't sound like his leads. In fact, you have more of a... Your piccolo bass has more of a melodic Joe Satriani style than, you know, uh, Hendrix. It's uh, very interesting. And uh, that's... I'm a jazz guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's, 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 it's funny, man. It's like I'm playing bebop on Jimi Hendrix, but, you know, yeah. it's like it's, I'm a jazz guy. I can't help it. That's what right. I do. It's, 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 it's funny, and, and you're, 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 you're very right. I mean, you know, it's not, you know, I, I don't... I don't listen to those guys just because I don't do what they do, but yeah. I but I understand Satriani's melodic approach to, right. to instrumental rock, and and it's great, you know, um, you know. For me, I'm a jazz guy, so I think melody, I think improvisation, I think yeah. chord changes, I think communicating through a solo, and it's funny because there's, there there truly there are really a couple of lines on there that are just like oh my god it's like it's a Charlie Parker line it's hysterical 
but that's, I'm a jazz guy. It's what I do. But in a sense, I, I think it actually really works because it makes some pretty hard edge music melodic and maybe easier to listen to because I approached this record and honestly, I, I didn't even think about it in advance. It just kind of organically became what it is. But if you really think about it, if you think about the style and the vibe and the sound and the production, it's almost like an instrumental metal record mm. with some funk bass underneath. Interesting. That's yeah. melodic because I, because I've got, you know, I'll call them guitars, but it's all piccolo basses, but I've got those walls of guitars on the side, which is like a big metal record. So it's really big, you know, and then I'm doing a lot of slap bass and some other stuff underneath it. Some of it's even kind of on the funky side, but it's the approach is more like those walls of metal guitars than it is anything else. And it's, if you, it's really kind of um, a mixture of a lot of different genres and styles together. Mm. And because it's all done on the bass, it kind of works because it, it doesn't have a, it, I, I can't explain it. It like, it, it's not trying to be anything else other than what it is. And mm. because of that, it's honest and it's real. Even though it's kind of hard to put your finger on, it's still real. Because right. if a guitar player did it, they would do totally different things than I would do just because they're capable of doing it on the guitar that I just can't do True. on the bass. True. I don't play with a pick. I don't have a whammy bar. <laughs> you know, I don't do all the stuff that they do, you know. So they would approach the record completely differently than I would, and it would sound more like Hendrix, and it would sound more like a guitar player's record, which right. it would be, you know, awesome. It would just sound totally different from what I did to it. Well, what I love, it's an instrumental album, but there's no lead vocals. But uh, I love how the bass in, say, Manic Depression takes on takes the place of Jimmy's vocal harmonies and, and phrasing. It was great. I love that take, uh, that cover of Manic Depression. Um, well, it's a great song, and, and it's um, it, it's really cool because it's in three or six, depending upon how you count it. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of the biggest challenges I had on this record, which I didn't think about until I started doing it, was the way Jimmy delivered his songs. You know, it's not like he was this amazing crooner singer, you know. Yeah. He spoke to you. It was mm -hmm. almost like spoken word. It, mm -hmm. he, he would he would he would just communicate as a human being so powerfully in his music between mm -hmm. like half singing and half talking. Right. And he would do it in such a way and the connection between his voice and his delivery and his guitar playing, I mean, you could just feel and hear that it was all one thing it was just mm. this entity of who he was coming through and his voice was so powerful in the delivery of his music that when i started doing the record 
you know, when you think of the songs, it's like, oh, cool, you know, these are cool, fun rock tunes to play, and I can do it, and it's going to be great, and blah, 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 blah. And then I started playing the melodies, you know, on a fretted bass, mm. and it was just awful. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm taking my finger, and I'm putting it on a metal string that's pushing down on a metal wire fret, and, like, where's the soul in that when you compare it to what comes out of his human voice right. and the energy of, of the humanity that came out of him. And I started playing some of these melodies and it was just like, oh my God, this is just awful. I can't do this. Mm. I just can't do this, you know? And then I, I, I started messing with different instruments and I realized that I need to play the fretless bass because the fretless bass is much more like the human voice. Mm. You know, you create the sound with your <clears> finger. <throat> There's no metal fret. You have to play a tune, but you can slide, you can move it around. It's warm. And you can do all these different things that you can't do on a fretted bass, and it's much more like a human a human voice. Mm. And that's when I use the manic depression. I play these fretless melodies right. and stuff, and it's like this sounds great. <laughs> it, it it saved the record by doing that because it's you know what he did was so human, and then you know putting your finger on a metal bar is not human. It sounds terrible, you mm. know. So the fretless really saved the record, and in a sense, really became the star of the album because. It is more human. It, it is more expressive. It is more emotional. And I think it really helped, you know, take music that really wasn't written for instrumental music and it made it okay to be instrumental music. Because just because something's a great song doesn't mean it's going to translate into an instrumental song. It's two totally different things. Right. Well, you use a lot of different basses. You use the, I think you use an acoustic bass on Wind Cries Mary, correct? Um, yep, I play my upright on that. <laughs> uh, that sounds Which very cool. good. Yeah, very cool. Uh, yeah, it totally worked. And the acoustic piccolo bass, which sounds like a big fat acoustic guitar. I mean, yeah, I just I was going to say that. Yeah, it had to breathe somewhere on the record. It was just nice to, to go, you know, something really just organic and acoustic. And uh, I mm. think it works really well on that too. And it's true that you have a three hundred year old double bass as well. Is that true? Yeah, it's um, it's an old Italian bass that would be. If Stradivarius made a bass, it would be this. It's it's incredibly rare. And um, it's just an exceptionally special instrument that taught me how to play it. And it, it, it actually took me years. I had to get good enough to play this bass because I couldn't just play it when I was younger. It was out of my league. Mm. I literally had to be good enough just to start playing this instrument. And then essentially this bass taught me how to play and taught me how to get a sound. And, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. I mean, I literally just didn't have the, the acumen when I was young to play this instrument and do it justice. And finally, when I was ready to, mm. I started playing it. And then this instrument kind of taught me how to play. And it's, uh, it's an incredibly beautiful bass. And, uh, you know, 
every time I play it, it lets me know who's boss, and it's not me. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> but it's not on this album, though. No, it is. It's on the Wind Cries Mary. Oh, it is. Okay. That's the low bass. Wow. Yeah, the low bass is that's the wind. That that I played it on the wind with the Wind Cries Mary. That's the low bass. Yeah, I use it on one song. Yeah. Fantastic. That's great. Yeah. I had to find a spot for it somewhere, and I thought that was the perfect tune to do it. Yeah. Now you say you call yourself a jazz guy, but your respect for Jimi Hendrix goes way back to when you were a kid, right? I mean, ten years old when you yeah. heard that he passed away, and. And you even said it was like very emotional for you um, when you yeah, heard the for, news. You know, for some reason, and I, I don't, I, I, I can't put my finger on it, but you know, um, I, you know, my, my brother's a drummer, and he's nine and a half years older than me, and you know, and I had two older sisters, uh, two older sisters as well, and you know, and they listen to all kinds of music, you know, and of course, my sisters listen to pop music, and my brother, you know, he was a jazz guy for sure, but he also listened to Hendrix and. You know, and, and Led Zeppelin and everything else. So I, I literally grew up listening, you know, from everything to, you know, Buddy Rich, Tony Bennett, to Mahavishnu, to, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I mean, I, I literally grew up listening to everything. Mm. So Hendrix was a big part of, of of the music that we had. And I just remember I used to listen to his records and I used to just look at the album covers and just and, and the backs and just look at the pictures of Jimmy and stuff. It's just like, man, he was just amazing looking and just the vibe. And there was just something about him and his music and and I think it's he was a larger than life talent mm-hmm. and and an enlightened being and that transcended his music and there was so much improvisation in his music and he wasn't like just your typical rock guitar player mm-hmm. I mean he 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 communicated as a human being he spoke to you yes and even though I was very young he spoke to me, and I, I I got it. There was something about it that reached me when I was very young, and then I remember when when you know when I found out he died. I just remember sitting on the floor in my bedroom with his records, literally just looking at his pictures, just crying. You know, yeah. it just blew me away. You know, it's like he was so young and just like instantly became this icon, and just at the prime of his life and gone. You know, it just it really it really took me out. I, I still have memories of sitting on the floor i even knew where i was sitting and you know facing the door and and, and looking at his records it's i don't know why it, it had that impact on me but i guess he had a bigger impact on me in my life than i realized but i think a lot of it too was his creativity and he wasn't just your typical you know rock guitar player you know yeah. there was so much more to him and his music than that and considering that i listened to a lot of jazz and create creative music i i guess some of that touched me that he was kind of on the edge and if you listen to some of those records and Mitch Mitchell playing drums, I mean, you know, he's playing drum solos constantly. They're just they're just going for it. And that's yes. what <laughs> to me, that's what jazz was, too. It was just completely right. going for it. So I think that's why it touched me in a very uh, deep way. As a fan of Jimmy, do you ever wonder what he what kind of music he might be playing if he were still alive today? Would he be playing blues? Well, would he be playing maybe some jazz stuff? You know, I think he's the kind there, of guy that would know, yeah. evolve. Go ahead. He's, yeah, this, when when you've got that kind of gift, yeah. you evolve. Yes, and I, I will tell you that I know he was going into the studio with Miles Davis, and mm. there was a session yep. booked at Electric Ladyland Studios in New York, and a friend of mine, uh, a recording engineer, uh, used that that actually guy used to work for Chick Corea for years, Brady Kirsch, a recording engineer, is on a million Chick Corea records. Um, used to work at Electric Ladyland, and he actually saw it on the schedule that he and Miles 
were coming in, and I believe that recording session was two weeks after Jimmy passed. Mm. So I know he was interested in jazz, and he wanted to 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 explore. Imagine what would have happened if he and Miles Davis got together, you yeah. know. Um, it, and there's a, a pianist that is a friend of mine that actually I just recorded on his record. His name is Bobby Lyle, and he's in the seventies and. He, he said to me, he's like, Brian, man, he goes, yeah, he goes, congratulations on your Hendrix record. He goes, I just want you to know something. He's like, Jimmy and I were friends, and I was going to be in his band because he said to me that he wanted to start doing more jazz, and and he was putting a new band together, and he was going to be the keyboard player in the band, and they were going to start rehearsing mm. the week that he came back from London on the trip that he died on. So wow. he's like... We, you know, he was going to go down that route. So that's like pretty heavy, you know, when I think about it. But yeah, when you've got that kind of creativity, I mean, who knows what would have happened um, it, had they gotten together? And and I'm sure he would have explored everything, jazz, blues, uh, just everything. There's just, you know, he had so much emotion in this thing. How could you not keep evolving? I mean, it's like, you know, you look at Miles Davis's career and what he started doing and what he evolved to. You look at the Beatles, they were together for seven years and look at where they started from and what they evolved to. Mm. And and the fact that these people kept changing their styles. And they, you know, the Beatles, when you think about it, they kept their fans with them on their musical journey. How many people drastically change styles and keep your fans? Not you usually lose somebody. <laughs> right. They, they kept them. Yeah. That's, that's like, that's like, Amazing! I would imagine Jimmy would have been the same way. Yeah. So what's what's next for you? Would you would you imagine this is a fun album? So would you imagine yourself doing a second Hendrix album with other Hendrix songs? I know you have a Christmas album coming out right soon. Yeah, which is just nuts for me to even think of doing a holiday record. But I actually love it. It came out great. Um, I'm I'm very proud of it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I never thought I'd be doing a holiday record, but. Uh, the thing that's cool about a holiday record is that it is such a specific open genre because it's about the holidays and classic songs and things like that, that it gives you license to do all different kinds of things musically and different arrangements and different styles on one record because it's about the song and the holiday spirit in the song versus about the genre. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to put a jazz trio tune on a metal record. Right. You know, you're not going to put a, you know, that kind of thing. But this allows you to actually do different styles. So that was really fun because it was about the music and it let me do a bunch of different things. Um, it, 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 you know, as far as the Hendrix thing, it, it really just depends on how well it's received and if it, it if there's enough market for it. I mean, as a, as a, as an artist, I'm open for anything. I, right. I would I would go wherever the spirit went, and if if there was enough interest in it, uh, you know, it, it would be something that I would I would do and and see what happened. You know, um, I'm just finishing uh, a new original music record, which is going to come out in uh, early 2021, and that's um, much more on the funk kind of groove melodic side, right. um, which is which is also fun just because it's totally different from the Hendrix record and totally different from the Christmas record. So I like, I don't like to make the same record twice in a row. I like to do different things, which in this industry sometimes can be a curse, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but um, as a human, you know, I love Italian food, but I'm not going to eat it three meals a day every day. (laughs) You know, the variety is great. So I love doing different 
types of music and different types of jazz. So this one is on the more melodic, funky groove side, and then who knows what I'll end up doing after that. But um, it's uh, I just feel fortunate that I get to actually do this. Oddly enough, the quarantine from COVID actually made it possible for me to focus on all this music because right. had I not done that, you know, I would have been just, you know, all over the place traveling or doing whatever, you know, COVID forced me to lock myself up in a room and, and, and make music. And it's it's like, you know, trying to make, you know, nice lemonade from, from lemons. It was, a, right, right. A, it's been a really interesting ride these past few months of looking at the uh, creative output in a really kind of messed up time. It's kind of weird, actually. Well, what I hope is that Hendrix fans get to hear this. Maybe they missed it 10 years ago, the first time around, like I did, and they get to enjoy it because I really enjoyed this album. And if they missed it the first time, they can hear it now. And I love when musicians take something out of their genre and give it a new interpretation. So there's a lot of things going, going for this album. And I definitely well, wish. I appreciate that, and, and 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 I kind of agree with you. I mean, it, it you know it, maybe it'll have more traction now than it did you know ten years ago, which would be right. great. I'm proud of it, and to me, it's a record that deserves to be heard. I would hope that the Hendrix fans would would listen to it and, and dig it, and at least appreciate you know what I brought to it, whether it's their style or not. At least they can appreciate the honesty and uh, my intent behind it, and and you know. I, I would think that they would like it just because it's it's you know kind of up their alley, but you, you never know. And yeah, it's a hell of a tribute. Can't take anything for granted. You well, know, the, thank you. I, I you know it, it, the biggest thing for me, and maybe it's just my own insecurity or paranoia. I, I always get concerned because because I don't play guitar, mm. and I, I because I kind of just do what I do, whatever mm. that is. I always get concerned that people are going to judge it for what it's not versus enjoying it for what it is right and and what i say to people is like look i'm not a guitar player (laughs) you can't judge me against another guitar player because i don't play guitar just listen to it for what it is and there's some pretty cool heart and soul on that record and a lot of vibe and it's everybody everybody i mean you know vinny and i are just completely throwing down you know so don't don't compare it to x because i'm not yeah, you know, so I think if people listen to it and enjoy it for what it is, they will hopefully enjoy it a lot more than going, yeah, but he's not a guitar player. He didn't play that. Like he didn't learn it. You know, it's like there's so much judgment in music. Yeah, it's like just just dig it for what it is versus complaining what it's not. You know, <laughs> I agree. Well, I wish you all the best with it, and thanks for taking the time with the interview. Oh, thank you, man, and I'm glad you like it, and I I hope. Uh, I hope people like it. It, it. It's coming from a very real, honest place, and I hope they get that. Oh, yeah. And I'm a rock guy, so uh, even though I do like jazz, but, you know, I usually like crossover stuff. So, yes, if right. if, if it got to me, it's I'm sure it would get to other Hendrix fans. So, Well, that's cool. And I would think, you know, and, and Satriani is like a great example. Yeah. Because you know, it's, it's like musical, melodic, instrumental rock, you know? Right. And... You know, so it's like if you're a Sat fan or a Steve Vai fan um, or, you know, uh, you know, even someone of a Holdsworth, although his stuff is a lot more, you know, harmonically. Yeah. But 
if if you like you know you know or Eric Johnson or or whatever, I mean if you, if you like some of you know that kind of guitar rock or instrumental rock, I mean this record fits right in perfectly. Even though I'm not one of those guys, right. it's like I can't do what they do, but I could certainly stand on stage with them and not be booed off the stage. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I can hold my own with any of them but I can't do what they do, you know? Right. But if you like that kind of genre, like that kind of music, it's like, how could you not relate to this record? That's that's kind of how I look at it. Yep, that's another porch, that's another fan base you can attract as well. I, I tell you, just one more thing. Oh, yeah. I was putting a band together to do this live. Oh, really? And then, co- yeah, then COVID hit. And... I was just like, you know, I want, you know, I was, you know, there was a couple of places that were interested in having me come and perform this. And I had, you know, my first call would have been to Vinny, but Vinny's so busy, he probably wouldn't be able to do it. This is pre-COVID. So I had talked to Simon Phillips, who plays with Toto, and, oh, and you he's know, he's got a million rock records. And about him playing drums, I talked to Rudy Sarza, who's a good friend of mine. He's a bass player who's actually a better bass player than people realize about playing bass with me on it. Because, you know, Rudy's great. He's a sweetheart. We've been friends for a long time. And I was going to put, you know, a a pretty serious, you know, rock fusion band together to go play this record live. And then then COVID hit. So, I, Mm -hmm. I mean, I already started with the calls and started talking to the guys and getting the thumbs up. And we already had a couple clubs that wanted to book dates this year. And it all, you know, obviously fell apart. But how fun would that have been to go out there and play this live? Oh, my God. I would definitely dig that. <laughs> that would be insane. It would be insane. Yeah. I'd be flipping out to be able to do this live. I, yeah. I did it once. There's a big music trade show called The NAM Show. And yeah. We did a little thing at The NAM Show, and, and, and that played. It wasn't the Hendrix stuff. It was some other stuff that we played in instrumental rock, and it was just so much fun for me to get out there and just not think like a bass player, you know? Right. But um, anyway, hopefully COVID will pass by and maybe maybe i'll be able to go out there and do this one that would be very cool. yeah don't forget that that would be cool very cool i would i would love it I, dude I, I will tell you i'd be scared to death because it's like you know you can't you know it's like you got to put up or shut up you know it's like it's live you got to nail it so it would it, you know I, I would have to be I would really have to own it, and it would be cool. I would love the challenge because you know every guitar player in the world is going to stand there with their arms, <laughs> their arms folded, staring at you, going, "Yeah, what the hell are you doing?" You know. So it's like I, I would, I would, my work would have been, uh, I would have had my work to do. But I, how cool would that be? So that would be a lot of fun. A, do a lot of fun for Hendrix yeah. fans. Yep, absolutely. That would be cool. Even, you know, even if I could open up for somebody, I mean, just give me a couple tunes. Okay? Yeah. Let me just get out there and just do it, you know. I just think it'd just be a blast. So, who knows? We'll see. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to do that next year. That would be really cool. Well, I'll definitely keep my eyes open for that one. Well, thank you so much, man. I I appreciate your time. Thank you, man. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Brian Bromberg. And thanks for all your love towards Jimi Hendrix. This is a fantastic album, Brownberg Plays Hendrix. And thank you for listening. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine. You can go to goldminemag.com for additional exclusive content. Also get percentage off the subscription price of print and digital. And you can pick Goldmine up at the newsstand at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. We'll see you on the next podcast episode. Thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.